Good morning. Before we begin, I want to say a special prayer. Um, I got an email this morning, and that's why I just remembered this, that I was supposed to say this. Um, but you might be familiar with Beef Bernard. He's the youth minister up at Mary Camp Road. And if you know Beef, you probably know Jeff Robinson. You've probably seen it on Facebook if you're friends. Jeff has been in the area for about 35 years, preaching up at Mary Camp Road, and he has been diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. Uh, so he's in Orlando right now. So I just want to pray a special prayer for Jeff and the church at Mary Camp as this is so, so sudden. And I just want to just, he's been on my heart this morning, so I just want to be praying for him. Uh, Lord, I just want to pray for our brother Jeff Robinson that he's been serving you and serving your kingdom up in Mary Camp for so long. And he is struggling right now and that he is desperately seeking prayers from God's people, God, that, that he recognizes his words are, are exactly only God can heal me and I need prayer. So, God, we are lifting up his name this morning as his brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, God, I just pray that you're able to be with him, be with his family as they are just by his side praying day and night uh, for his, his health to improve. And, God, we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So just keep Jeff in your prayers this week, um, if, if, you, if you would. Okay, so we are talking about Jesus. And uh, we are actually leading up to Easter. It's a good thing to talk about Jesus as we get to Easter. But last week I introduced us, we're doing a six-week series as we enter the, the season of Easter, asking six important questions. Okay, last week, if you were here with us, we asked the question, who is Jesus? Okay, and I'm not going to test you on this, uh, but I'll say Jesus is the capital M Messiah, right? Are you with me? You remember this? Even if you weren't here, I'll just briefly go over it with you. We went through Mark chapter 1, verse 1, where we learned that at the very beginning, Mark, the great storyteller, tells us the ending of the story, that he is the capital M Messiah, the anointed one of God, who's going to be much better than guys like Saul, Right, that were kings of Israel, much better than even David, the mold of God's anointed one. People were waiting in expectations for another Messiah like David to lead Israel to a place they never could imagine to be. And Jesus was that capital in Messiah. Jesus was that anointed one, but he wasn't like David, right? He was like Jesus. He was like the Son of God, the image of the invisible God, and he was not anointed by oil by the high priest, right? No, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Remember this. And because of that anointing, he's able to do some great things. And he was high and lifted up, not in a way that a king normally is, but on a cross. And we're not going to talk about the resurrection just yet. Okay, we've got to get six weeks, or I guess five more weeks until we get to Easter. But we'll get there, I promise. But we're asking these questions. Who is Jesus? He is the Messiah. And today we're going to ask the question, What? What did Jesus do on earth? And like I said last week, you could probably answer this in a bunch of different ways. Okay, you probably have your own ideas. And like I said, we're not to the resurrection yet. So don't say, well, Jesus died when he was on earth. We're not there yet. We're going to get there. But we're going to talk about the three years of ministry that Jesus did. You know, the nuts and bolts of what Jesus did while he was on earth. But before we get to that, I want to ask you this question. What do you do? Okay, think in your mind. If I were to come up to you, we've never met before, and I ask you the question, what do you do? What's the first thing that comes to mind? A lot of things is your job, right? A lot of us would say, well, I am a blank, right? I would say, I am a youth minister. 
Uh, you might say, I am a salesperson, I am a manager, I am a chef, I am a whatever you might be. There's a lot of jobs you could have. But a lot of our minds go directly to the things that we do with our work, right? And maybe, maybe it's not work. Maybe you think of yourself, well, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a brother or a sister. It's the things that we do with our hands and we do with our days and the hours that we spend doing those things that we think of when we answer this question, Right? And I'm not saying this is a bad thing because I think in our culture we're caught up in the things that we do, the things that we accomplish. And I don't think that's inherently bad. But sometimes we get so caught up in the things that we do that we miss out on something else that might be going on. Okay? And what I'm getting at is what are your actions, the things, right? What are your actions doing to contribute to your purpose in life? It's a little bit of a deeper question, right? Because the nuts and bolts of what we do, that can be broken down in a very simple thing. But even when we describe the things that we do, there's different caveats, right? I remember my first job I've told you about, I worked at Quiznos, right? And when I got hired at Quiznos, okay, you're the to-go guy. I would do the to-go orders. And in my mind, I was like, okay, I work at Quiznos, I'm the to-go guy. But I didn't just do the to-go orders, right? I had to clean up the store. I had to make sandwiches for whoever came in. Right? It wasn't just this one job I had to do. And it was the same thing when I worked at different restaurants. Okay, you work this section, but guess what? You're also cleaning tables. You're also prepping food. You're also rolling silverware. There isn't just one thing that you had to do. It was enormous, the amount of things you had to do at the end of the night. But I think that kind of is a, is a good way of thinking about the things that we do contributing to the bigger picture of our purpose in our lives. Are you with me? is not as simple as we want to make it out to be. There's a lot going on that contributes to the big picture. So I want you to be thinking about this question. I want you to hold this, maybe take a screenshot with your eyes of this question. We're going to come back to it at the end. But what are your actions, the things that you're doing, contributing to your purpose in life? So the main question is, you know, what did Jesus do when he was on earth? And for that, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 9. So if you're with me and you want to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. Very simple in verse 35. Asking the question, what did Jesus do when he was on earth? Matthew says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. Very succinct. Very simple, right? I boiled it down to this. Jesus on earth, he would preach, he would teach, and he would heal. Say it with me. Jesus would preach, teach, and heal. That's the nuts and bolts of what Jesus did for three years of his ministry right on earth. He would go to these places and he would often teach something or he would preach to a large group of people. And oftentimes, right, people would hear about Jesus coming and what would they do? They would bring their sick. They would bring their injured. They would bring whoever they could to meet Jesus so he could touch them and heal them. And again, this is not everything, but this is what Jesus focused on. The preaching, the teaching, and the healing. And and something that I've kind of gained from from Jesus is that he was a very, very good preacher. Okay, one of his most famous sermons, the Sermon on the Mount, it's like three chapters in Matthew, right? At the very end of it all, this is what people had to say in response to his preaching. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, The crowds were amazed at his teaching. Why? Because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. If you remember, just 
you know, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and be at Matthew 5 really quick. I'm, going to, I'm just going to look at a few things that Jesus was teaching here, okay? This is one of the most difficult things because he's, he's preaching all of these different difficult topics, right? He goes and he talks about murder. He talks about idolatry, divorce, oaths, an eye for an eye, this idea of paying back someone who's done you wrong, loving your enemies. I mean, that's enough for me to say, okay, Jesus, what you're teaching, that the stuff that you're teaching is too hard for me to handle. I don't want to turn my other cheek when someone hits this one, right? Are you with me? Maybe I'm alone. This is a hard teaching. But what's, what's funny to me is at the end of all this teaching in Matthew chapter 7, because he taught as one who had authority, that is what stuck out to the people who were listening, listening to him preach. And you might be asking yourself the question, why is that? Well, during the Sermon on the Mount, he has kind of this way of speaking, Jesus would talk about a hard teaching. He'd say, you have heard it said. And then he'd you know, say what they've heard said. And then he'd say, but I say to you. And he'd kind of flip the script a little bit. And that is some serious authority. Because in, in rabbinic tradition, they have this thing called the midrash. Where a lot of rabbis would weigh in on a lot of different, a lot of different ideas and a lot of different theology. And so you'd have rabbi so-and-so says this and rabbi so-and-so says this. It kind of reminds me of when you're in high school or college and you've got to write an essay. And you got to have references. Do you guys remember that? It's been a while since maybe some of you have written essays. But I remember in high school, there would be teachers who said you have to have ten references. And I'd be like, ten references? That's like too many for me. So I would start doing those little ones where I would find a random fact and be like, the Atlantic Ocean is, is an ocean. And I'd say, that was referenced by Dr. So, you know, like those silly things just so I could have the reference sheet filled out. And sometimes that's how rabbis would teach. They would say, rabbi so-and-so and rabbi so-and-so, and they would say as many rabbis as possible so whatever point they're about to make has much more authority behind it. You follow me? If they can reference enough smart people they seem smart from what they're saying. It's not a bad technique. But you see what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, you have heard it said your entire life this way, but I say to you this. Do you see how that's different? He's no longer relying on the words of different rabbis and different teachers. He's saying, actually, you have heard those rabbis teach it this way, but I say to you this way. That is different. We talked about Jesus breaking the mold of Messiah last week and David. They're waiting for another David. He's breaking the mold again. Not just with how he's going about his Messiahship, but how he's teaching. He's breaking the mold of how rabbis were expected to teach. And while Jesus did preach to many, uh, what was always interesting to me is the way that Jesus would teach as well. You remember how Jesus would teach? He'd always tell stories, he'd tell parables. We actually just studied this on Wednesday night. If you haven't been coming to our Wednesday night Discovery Bible study, you ought to. It's been an awesome discussion. But this is from Luke 18. This is a parable that Jesus taught. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. 
I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Okay? Now, Jesus, the teacher, who's speaking with all authority, he very well could have just said this last part, right? If he's trying to teach a lesson and he wants to get a point across, he could have just said, hey, guess what, guys? You should be humble and not be so proud. But what does Jesus do? He tells a story. And in that telling of the story, you kind of find yourself in different places. We were able to discuss on Wednesday night in different times when we might have been the Pharisee or maybe times when we were the tax collector. We were able to put ourselves within the the confines of the story, and it became so real to us. And it's the same thing that Jesus is doing to these people, right? He is telling a story so that his teaching is going to stick. The story, you know, plain and simple, it cuts deeper. It's no longer saying, hey, you should do this. It's saying, hey, this is how this plays out, and this is how you're kind of acting. The story makes it much more approachable, acceptable, and really life-changing, it's the same reason why movies and TV shows stick with us for so long. It's not just the, you know, the, the animation or, or the, you know, all the explosions or whatever it might be that makes a movie stick with us. It's the story. And Jesus would use those stories to really make his points come across and teach people. So Jesus preached with authority and he taught deep truths in parables. And my question is, two of these things are, not, are, are kind of similar and one's a little bit different, right? We had preach, teach, and heal. So what did Jesus do with his healings? Jesus gives a glimpse here in this example here, also in Luke chapter 7. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the, the, beer, the buyer uh, they were carrying him on, And the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And this is a very significant, I could have picked any of the other healings, but for for whatever reason, this one stuck out to me because of what Jesus is doing with this healing. Do you follow me here? At the end of it all, Who gets the glory? God, we can say it out loud. God gets the glory, right? They were all filled with awe and praise Jesus because he's an awesome guy and does cool things. No, they praise God. A great prophet has come and appeared to us. They said, God has come to help his people. When you look at what Jesus would do, he'd go to town to town and people would bring his sick, their sick and and the people who need to be healed. And Jesus would do what he needed to do. But it wasn't just to show off his skills or that he has power to do these things. It was always to point to God, right? It's a glimpse. It's a a small glimpse of what God has wanted for us to, to have since the beginning of time, right? It was never God's intention for, for someone to go through something like this. Like even right here, what Jesus' response says right here, his heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. I can kind of just see God's mouthpiece being spoken to through Jesus because it was never God's intention for a son to die and his mother to have to bury that son. It was never God's intention for these people to go through these illnesses, right? We were supposed to be with God. We were supposed to live with God for eternity, but we messed things up. 
Sin entered the picture, and last week we talked about evil. And the problem with evil is that God cannot be in the presence of evil, right? And so when Jesus comes on the scene, he's not only doing these healings just to help these people out, he's trying to show people this is what God wanted all along. This is what God wanted you to be a part of. And and Jesus is literally letting the kingdom of God infiltrate the world through these healings. He's uncovering their eyes and saying, this is what God's going to do to you as he recreates the world through me and through kind of a situation that we don't understand just yet if we're a part of the story, right? When Jesus is telling his disciples, the Son of Man has to die, and they still don't get it. Jesus is showing us through these healings, this image, this window to God. God's plan was never for suffering. And and these healings are just another way for him to teach, is what I'm getting to. In the end, it's not just this powerful thing, but it's another form of teaching, right? We talked about the preaching, this authoritative preaching. We talked about the teaching through stories that really cut to the person's soul at times. And then we talk about the healings, which is just another way for Jesus to point to God. And that's great, but the question, I guess, is so what? That's what I always want to get to. We talked about Jesus the great preacher, teacher, and healer. So what does that mean for us? I ask you to think about this question, right? What are my actions doing to contribute to my purpose in life? And we ask the the first question is the things that you do, what are you doing? And what are those things that you're doing contributing to your purpose in life? It was very clear through the actions of Jesus what his purpose on earth was, right? Right? You could say, well, it was to die and for our sins. It was, to, it was to, you know, die and raise from the dead and to show us that resurrection power. But while Jesus was on earth, his first and foremost goal to-do list for that day was to point to God. And that's pretty much it. On his mind, he said, today I'm going to glorify God. Today I can't do anything unless the Father tells me to do it. I am dedicated to pointing to God. There's an invisible arrow above my head and saying, look at God, don't look at me. That was Jesus' purpose, to point to God. And you can look at me and you can say, well, that's easy for Jesus, Jimmy. It was easy for him because, you know, he was the son of God. He had all the abilities to do this and point to God through his actions. He didn't have to go to work and work a nine to five, right? He didn't have to, like, go fill up his gas tank and then go make dinner and then go do all these different things. And you can say, well, Jimmy, it's easy for you to say because your job is to, you know, do ministry. It's easy for you to say to point to God and to to let your life be a reflection of God's glory in your life. But see, I think that's where we get it twisted, Because I think all of us have the same opportunity every single day to point to God. And the cool thing about it is that it's all different. That's the beauty of it all. The way that I point to God is not going to be the same way that you point to God. And it shouldn't be. The so what? We should all, all of our purposes, all the things that we do, all of the things that we do and accomplish throughout the day should be to the overall purpose of pointing to God as Jesus shows us. So the question is, where do we go from here? You give me this deep question that's going to make me reconstruct how my day is, Jimmy. You ruined my week. How do we go? Because after this, you've got to do something, okay? The first thing is I think we need to think about what you're doing already and start there. Sometimes 
we get into this mindset of, if I'm going to do something, I need to do it big, right? If I'm going to do this, I need to start a ministry. I need to have volunteers. I need to have all these things going in order for me to go and do something. Guess what happens a lot of times? We don't do anything. What are you doing already that you can point to God as you go? And I feel like a broken record because I talk about this all the time. But I want us to kind of get on the same page here is that if we're going to make disciples, we need to start where we're at. We need to start with the people that we're already influencing and say, how can I point to God in this way? Even the small interactions that you have at 7-Eleven or Wawa, right? I got to talk about Wawa at some point. <laughs> Even in those small interactions, how can your influence point to God? And it's not going to be about sitting down and having a Bible study with every person that you meet. It's just simple interactions. You see Jesus do this all the time. I talk about Jesus being the expert communicator because he's able to twist every single interaction into pointing to God, right? You think about the woman at the well in John chapter 4. That was totally by chance, it seemed. Maybe it wasn't. Who knows? Maybe Jesus was intent on getting to this woman. But they're in a situation where the disciples have to go off and get some food, and he's left there, and someone comes up, and he's like, you know what? This is a great time for a conversation about God. I bet you if you think about your week, you can think about those opportunities as well that you've had. Where you have had an opportunity, where it might have just been a small, small chance where you could have just pointed to God. And again, it's not about this big overarching, I have to baptize this person, but it's about being a peaceful presence, a person of Christ in that moment to that person, wherever you are. So my, my encouragement to you is start where you are and do something about it. Think about it every day. And the second thing is, you aren't alone on this mission. Too many times people think that they don't have any allies to help them on this, and then it becomes overwhelming, and then guess what? You don't do anything about it. Um, it's important to recognize that you have a family. Like Pat said this, this before church, we're having this family cookout. That doesn't mean just kids. That means this family if you don't see this as a family, please open your eyes and see this as a group of people that can love you and encourage you to do this kind of work. Because I get it. It's, it, it might not be so easy for you to point to God in your daily life. You might feel like you're in a situation where, you know, you could lose your job, you could lose relationships. But guess what? Jesus was all about losing people and losing relationships if it meant pointing to God. Right? I think about this. When Jesus was going around doing all these miracles... He got too many people following him. You remember this? He feeds the 5,000. There's too many. He's got too many fans. And then he turns around and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. That is not a good way to get friends. That is a weird thing to say, Jesus. But you see what he's doing. He is intent on saying, I am going to point to God, and I don't care who knows it. You're going to see God when you see me. And I believe wholeheartedly that everybody in here can say the same exact thing. If we recognize where we are, start where you are and recognize that you're not alone. This community can be on fire for Jesus if we do these things together. So the question was, what did Jesus do when he was on earth? He preached, he teached, and he healed. And you might have different things that you do, but our overall purpose is going to be pointing to God. So I hope you feel encouraged by this morning. As we continue to dive into these questions, I hope that you see how this ties into the resurrection. 
as we finish up this series in a couple weeks. But this morning, see how you can start in the places that you are and recognize how we can do it together as a community. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this time, and I thank you for giving us uh, just this example of Jesus where if you really look at it, he did these crazy, incredible things that we kind of just stand back and are in awe of, but at the end of the day, he's pointing to you, God, and we can do the same exact thing. We have the power and ability to point to you in everything that we do. God, help us to have the courage to do so. Help us to have the courage to ask for help when we need it. God, be with us as we go from this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If there's any need that you have, this is a good time to let it be known. Uh, But if you have anxiety about coming before the church, that's okay. But like I say every week, talk to somebody today about it as we stand and as we sing.